Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the podcast where we do things excellently. Today's episode is brought to you by the beverage Herbal Tea, which I just brewed. I've now got it in my little teapot. Listen to this. Oh, it's dripping all over me. Beautiful. Gotta love an old herbal tea now and then, don't you? Um, it's the one thing I've done that's vaguely healthy today. The rest has been video games. Actually, I did go for a walk with my mate and his little boy. So there you go. Two things I did vaguely healthy. But I think I might have broken a record today for the least productive day I've ever had. I just didn't do anything. It was just TV and video games all day. So, um... (laughs) What can I say about that? I'll do better tomorrow, hopefully. Um, Discussion prompts, chapter 56. He somehow managed to get a date out of this behavior. I'm not expecting this to end well. I just think Phil is uh, very delicate, very um, volatile when it comes to his love life and this this girl, especially at the moment. Like, he hates her, then he loves her, then he hates her, then he loves her. And, like, I feel like if she does one thing that he doesn't like, he's just going to give her an earful. Um you know, it, it's there's been a few times I think in the last chapter or two when he's been on the verge of like having a, you know, letting giving her a piece of his mind sort of thing, um, and telling her how much he despises her, and then but then he wants a date with her, and then he wants to tell her how much he hates her, and it's just like, I feel like it's gonna happen. You know, she's gonna reject him ultimately, and he's just gonna go berserk, or he's gonna get jealous over some stupid thing. Something's gonna happen though. Acoustic Eel says, I can't believe that worked, either. I think this chapter is pretty conclusive evidence that Philip is not gay. No gay would ever get this tied up in knots over what a girl thinks. Though he would do all that over a male waiter, as long as he's cute and straight. It's wild how he thinks she's nothing special and flat-chested one day, and then thinks her profile is lovely the next. I hope he doesn't make a big scene at the theatre interesting that you say that that a gay man wouldn't care what a woman thinks you know where um in terms of physical attraction it seems everyone cares what women think <laughs> like i the most i've ever seen any of my girlfriends sort of get done up is when they're going to hang out with their girlfriends like they they most want to they, they most want to impress the judgment of their female friends more than their guy friends. Um, and, you know, guys, straight guys, are very much concerned with the opinions of women, um, you know, in terms of their physical attraction. They'll get a hairstyle that they, they hope, you know, women will find attractive, or people in general. Um, but, yeah, so gay people, apparently, according to Acoustic Eels, are the one specimen of human that is not concerned with the opinions of women. (laughs) I'd love to know if that, uh, what everyone else thinks of that. Is that true or not? Um, And is it true what I said there about girls tending to be more concerned with the opinions of other girls than of guys when it comes to um, their, uh, their appearance? Intrepa said, what about Dunsford? Uh, 
Philip talked talked him out of going back to that shop, then keeps going himself and winds up with a date. Seems like a kind of rotten thing to do. Um, yeah. Broke the bro code there, didn't he? But also, like, you kind of knew that that was what was happening. Even, you know, when he was... There was something about the way that he kind of slagged her off about her looks right up front when Dunsford introduced him to her. Uh, Not personally. He didn't introduce her personally, but, you know, took her to where she was. Um, There was something about the way he slagged off her appearance that made you think, I think he might be into her on some level. Laura Weistich said, I found Philip comparing Mildred to the petals of a yellow rosebud when you tore it to pieces before it had burst. Mildly terrifying. (laughs) That was a pretty shitty uh, analogy, wasn't it? Because that as well, just to add to that, he said she was green in the way that petals of the yellow rosebud are when you tore them to pieces before they burst. So, yeah, you know that green of when you get a yellow rosebud that's about to burst and then you tear it to pieces and it goes green? Yeah, that's the green she was. It's like my one rule with a, with a metaphor is that the thing you're describing needs to be more obscure than the metaphor. So the metaphor is a common thing that you can go, oh, okay, yeah, I know what you mean now. Because you're describing something that's not very common, but now you've compared it to a common thing and I understand. So like, but these are things, someone having a greenish tint to their skin, I can imagine that, I've seen that, you know, sick people or or whatever, um, I can imagine that. That's way less obscure than <laughs> the rose, yellow rosebed being torn to pieces. So um, that's a... Yeah, the metaphor for me is it's the wrong way around. It doesn't help. It just makes it more confusing. Um, I'm just going to take some tablets now on my microphone. I think my tea is cool enough now that I can use it to take some tablets. Oh, vitamins. I'm taking vitamin D because I'm getting so little sunlight recently. And, um... And a multivitamin, if you must know. Thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> all right, I think that's the conversation. That's it. I'm just going to top up my tea here. I've got a little teapot. It's quite quaint. Um, you know what? You know what bothered me? <laughs> I was just thinking about this as I was making the tea, and it just reminded me now that I've poured it. But um, right before I came onto the microphone, before I made the tea, I was watching television, and there was an ad for Wild Turkey Bourbon. What, is it Wild Turkey? Yeah, I think it's Wild Turkey. And I had Matthew McConaughey as the the voiceover and acting in the in the ad. And he is the marketing director of Wild Turkey. And um, the specific, the, the one that he was advertising was his signature blend. Um, so every bottle of that that gets sold, he would make a couple of dollars, right? 
It's his signature one, so he gets a royalty just off of that, plus he's the marketing director. And um, I don't know, I'm just... I think I've... I, there's something that's happened to me during 2020, during COVID, where I just start to think celebrities can just shut the hell up. You know? Like, we don't need them. <laughs> and he, he closes off the ad by saying... It's my favorite bourbon in the whole world. And um, I'm like, of course it is. Every time a bottle of it sells, you make bank. <laughs> like, shut up. Don't try to convince me to buy your bourbon by saying it's your favorite when obviously it is. If I had a, if there was a bourbon out there that every time a bottle was sold, I made money, that bourbon wouldn't just be my favorite bourbon in the world it would be my favorite thing in the world and i don't like bourbon <laughs> yet it would be the number one thing in the entire universe would be that bourbon because every time someone bought some i made money and that would be awesome uh so just like i don't need him there with his southern charm trying to convince me to buy his thing and i don't know i don't know i wonder if this has happened for anyone else during during covid where you just you just listen to celebrities and think, shut up. Shut the hell up, man. <laughs> you act in films. And that's fine, but don't try to be an influencer. Don't try to influence me one way or another. Um, another one who does that a lot is Ryan Reynolds with his YouTube. Um, he's always trying to do funny viral videos but they're always advertising something that he's got a stake in uh, anyway that's what I was thinking about when I made my tea so you're welcome for that alright let's read a chapter now I think I've, I've rambled long enough um, this podcast by the way here's an advertisement for you podcast is brought to you by patreon.com slash the Hemingway list you can support the podcast there you might notice that we've got some embedded embedded ads at the moment um, which we have an advertiser on Podbean which is cool thanks very much to that advertiser for choosing this podcast to advertise on it's making me a couple of dollars per day like literally one or two <laughs> so but that's kind of, that's cool that's something but um it, it gives you the option to put them in a specific place, right? And so, and it, and it has this tool where you can listen back to the podcast, find the exact second where you want the ad to come in, and then boom, it'll play it on that dot. But do you think that works? No, it does not. Because I've had reports from people that the ad just sort of plays near the spot where it should, but, you know, within a sort of 30-second window. So if the ad just kind of starts playing randomly for you, I do apologize. Um, and I would say don't use Podbean as your podcasting service if you are going to start a podcast because it is a bit scrappy. I'm I'm too invested now to change, you know. I've got 1,000 episodes uploaded to their system. So um, I'm stuck with them, but I wouldn't recommend them. Uh, all right, cool. Anyway, let's read. Let's read a book. Chapter 57. Philip arrived at Victoria Station nearly half an hour before the time which Mildred had appointed and sat down in the second-class waiting room. 
He waited, and she did not come. He began to grow anxious and walked into the station watching the incoming suburban trains, the hour which she had fixed passed, and still there was no sign of her. Philip was impatient. He went into the other waiting rooms and looked at the people sitting in them. Suddenly his heart gave a great thud. There you are, I thought you were never coming. I like that after keeping me waiting all this time I had a mind to go back home again. What? I like that after keeping me waiting all this time I had a mind to go back home again. But you said you'd come to the second class waiting room. I didn't say any such thing. It isn't exactly likely I'd sit in the second class room when I could sit in the first, is it? Though Philip was sure he had not been mistaken, he said nothing and they got into a cab. Where are we dining, she asked. I thought of the Adelphi restaurant. Will that suit you? I don't mind where we dine. She spoke ungraciously. She was put out by being kept waiting and answered Philip's attempted conversation with monosyllables. She wore a long black cloak of some rough dark material and a crochet shawl over her head. They reached the restaurant and sat down at a table. She looked round with satisfaction. The red shades of the candles on the tables, the gold of the decorations, the looking glasses lent the room a sumptuous air. I've never been here before. She gave Philip a smile. She had taken off her cloak and he saw that she wore a pale blue dress cut square at the neck and her hair was more elaborately arranged than ever. He had ordered champagne and when it came her eyes sparkled. You are going it, she said. Because I've ordered fizz, he asked carelessly, as though he had never drank anything else. I was surprised when you asked me to do a theatre with you. Conversation did not go very easily, for she did not seem to have much to say. Excuse me. And Philip was nervously conscious that he was not amusing her. She listened carelessly to his remarks with her eyes on on other diners and made no pretense that she was interested in him. He made one or two little jokes, but she took them quite seriously. The only sign of vivacity he got was when she spoke, when he spoke of the other girls in the shop. She could not bear the manageress and told him all her, her misdeeds at length. I can't stick her at any price and all the air she gives herself. Sometimes I've got more than half a mind to tell her something she doesn't think I know anything about. What is that? asked Philip. Well, I happen to know that she's not above going to Eastbourne with a man for the weekend now and again. One of the girls has a married sister who goes there with her husband, and she's seen her. She was staying at the same boarding house, and she had a wedding ring on. I don't know, for one, she's not married. Philip filled her glass, hoping that champagne would make her more affable. He was anxious that his little jaunt should be a success. He noticed that she held her knife as though it were a pen holder. (coughs) Excuse me. And when she drank, protruded her little finger. He started several topics of conversation, but he could get little out of her, and he remembered with irritation that he had seen her talking nineteen to the dozen and laughing with the German. They finished dinner and went to the play. Philip was a very cultured young man, and he looked upon musical comedy with scorn. He thought the jokes vulgar and the melodies obvious. It seemed to him that they did these things much better in France, but Mildred enjoyed herself thoroughly. She laughed till her sides ached, looked at Philip now and then when something tickled her to exchange a glance of pleasure, and she applauded rapturously. 
This is the seventh time I've been, she said, after the first act, and I don't mind if I come seven more times. She was much interested in the woman who surrounded them in the stalls. The women, sorry. She pointed out to Philip those who were painted and those who wore false hair. It is horrible, these West End people, she said. I don't know how they can do it. She put her hand to her hair. Mine's all my own, every bit of it. She found no one to admire, and whenever she spoke of anyone it was to say something disagreeable. It made Philip uneasy. He supposed that next day she would tell the girls in the shop that he had taken her out and that he had bored her to death. He disliked her, and yet he knew not why he wanted to be with her. On the way home, he asked, I hope you enjoyed yourself. Rather. Will you come out with me again one evening? I don't mind. He could never get beyond such expressions as that. Her indifference maddened him. It sounds as if you don't much care if you come or not. Oh, if you don't take me out, some other fellow will. I never, I need never want for men who will take me to the theatre. Philip was silent. They came to the station and he went to the booking office. I've got my season, she said. I thought I'd take you home. It's, it's rather late, if you don't mind. Oh, I don't mind if it gives you any pleasure. He took a single first for her and a return for himself. Well, you're not mean, I will say that for you, she said, when he opened the carriage door. Philip did not know whether he was pleased or sorry when other people entered, and it was impossible to speak. They got out at Hearn Hill, and he accompanied her to the corner of the road in which she lived. I'll say good night to you here, she said, holding out her hand. You'd better not come up to the door. I know what people are, and I don't want to have anybody talking. She said good night and walked quickly away. He could see the white shawl in the darkness. He thought she might turn round, but she did not. Philip saw which house she went into, and in a moment he walked along to look at it. It was a trim, common little house of yellow brick, exactly like all the other little houses in the street. He stood outside for a few minutes, and presently the window on the top floor was darkened. Philip strolled slowly back to the station. The evening had been unsatisfactory. He felt irritated, restless, miserable. When he lay in bed, he seemed still to see her sitting in the corner of the railway carriage with the white crochet shawl over her head. He did not know how he was, go how he was to get through the hours that must pass before his eyes rested on her again. He thought drowsily of her thin face with its delicate features and the greenish pallor of her skin. He was not happy with her, but he was unhappy away from her. He wanted to sit by her side and look at her. He wanted to touch her. He wanted... The thought came to him, but he did not finish it. Suddenly he grew wide awake. He wanted to kiss the thin, pale mouth and its narrow lips. The truth came to him at last. He was in love with her. It was incredible. He had often thought of falling in love, and there was one scene which he had pictured to himself over and over again. He saw himself coming into a ballroom. His eyes fell on a little group of men and women talking, and one of the women turned around. Her eyes fell upon him, and he knew that that gasp in his throat was in her throat too. He stood quite still. She was tall and dark and beautiful, with eyes like the night. She was dressed in white, and in her black hair shone diamonds. They stared at one another, forgetting that people surrounded them. He went straight up to her, and she moved a little towards him. Both felt that the formality of introduction was out of place. He spoke to her. I've been looking for you all my life, he said. You've come at last, she murmured. Will you dance with me? She surrendered herself to his outstretched hands, and they danced. 
Philip always pretended he was not lame. She danced divinely. I never danced with anyone who danced like you, she said. She tore up her program and they danced together the whole evening. I'm so thankful that I waited for you, he said to her. I knew that in the end I must meet you. People in the ballroom stared. They did not care. They did not wish to hide their passion. At last they went into the garden. He flung a light cloak over her shoulders and put her in a waiting cab. They caught the midnight train to Paris and they sped through the silent, starlit night into the unknown. He thought of this old fancy of his, and it seemed impossible that he should be in love with Mildred Rogers. Her name was grotesque. He did not think her pretty. He hated the thinness of her. Only that evening he had noticed how the bones of her chest stood out in evening dress. He went over her features one by one. He did not like her mouth, and the unhealthiness of her colour vaguely repelled him. She was common. Her phrases, so bald and few, constantly repeated, showed the emptiness of her mind. He recalled her vulgar little laugh at the jokes of the musical comedy, and he remembered the little finger carefully extended when she held her glass to her mouth. Her manners, like her conversation, were odiously genteel. He remembered her insolence. Sometimes he had felt inclined to box her ears, and suddenly he knew not why. Perhaps it was the thought of hitting her or the recollection of her tiny beautiful ears. He was seized by an uprush of emotion. He yearned for her. He thought of taking her in his arms, the thin, fragile body, and kissing her pale mouth. He wanted to pass his fingers down the slightly greenish cheeks. He wanted her. He had thought of love as a rapture which seized one so that all the world seemed spring-like. He had looked forward to each an ecstatic happiness. But this was not happiness. It was a hunger of the soul. It was a painful yearning. It was a bitter anguish. He had never known before. He tried to think when it had first come to him. He did not know. He only remembered that each time he had gone into the shop, after the first two or three times, it had been with a feeling in his heart that was pain. And he remembered that when she spoke to him, he felt curiously breathless. When she left him, it was wretchedness. And when she came to him again, it was despair. He stretched himself in his bed as a dog stretches himself, He wondered how he was going to endure that ceaseless aching of his soul. All right, there we go. Another chapter for you. Philip is a silly sausage. He's a silly, silly boy. Have your say over at the subreddit. Thank you very much for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.